What's up, everyone? We're here for another week of Locked On Bucks, and it will be a big week for the Milwaukee Bucks. They're going to play the Philadelphia 76ers. They're going to play the Brooklyn Nets as well. And we know the top of the East is absolute chaos right now. Of course, we are going to touch on that as we are. It's updating every single day. I've got some Drew Holiday stuff I want to talk about. Uh, we're also going to talk about some other questions that we have for the Bucks heading towards the postseason. Uh, it's not far away. We're talking a couple of weeks here. The season, I don't know whether it feels long or short, but the playoffs are nearly here, so it's time to get excited about that. Let's get into it. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. You can see and hear me on this show Monday to Friday and also find my work over at ESPN. And joining me from the Bucks Radio Network here as he is basically every single Sunday night as we're recording this for a Monday podcast, Justin Garcia. Of course, we thank you for making Locked On Bucks your first listen or first watch of every day, whether it's on the audio podcast or on YouTube, which by the way, I was just telling Justin, the YouTube channel is just going from strength to strength. We're on the road to 3K subscribers uh, you guys have jumped on board. The comment section is always interesting. There's plenty of discussion going on there. So make sure you jump on board if you haven't yet. And today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. That's Bet Online where the game starts. Uh, Justin, not the best weekend for the Bucks, though. They did go down to the Memphis Grizzlies, but we knew this was going to happen. I messaged Frank on the morning of the game and I said, no Jar Morant. That's basically a guaranteed win for the Memphis Grizzlies. I believe now they're seventeen and two, seventeen and two, which is yeah. just—it's just ridiculous. And this game was never really close. It seemed like a weird night for the Bucks in terms of Giannis was missing some layups, and and just everything seemed a little bit off. The Bucks have been playing well for a while now, uh, but they got blown out by this Grizzlies team that just keeps on winning with our old friend Taylor Jenkins. Taylor Jenkins. Um, yeah, and that was kind of what I talked about at halftime, too, of, well, this one kind of felt weird from the start with um, not just missed shots, but multiple missed shots from Giannis, where he would basically <laughs> get to the rim, miss it, get the rebound, miss it. Yeah. I think that happened uh, two times with him. Which, is, by the way, once... is like a trademark move for Giannis, the miss, the yeah. rebound, the putback, but, and he never misses the putback. Yeah. And I, I, he had it two, maybe three times in the total game. Bobby Portis, I think, had one too. So that was weird. But it, it seems like these weird things happen whenever the Bucks are in Memphis. Like you had Giannis missing shots that he always makes. Uh, you had the preseason game in Memphis this year where they didn't even finish the game because of a fire in the arena. You had the game a couple of years ago where Jaron Jackson Jr. scored 40-plus, and I, I think he had 13 threes or something like that. Uh, 10 threes and just went nuts in the third quarter that they have these weird matchups when they go to Memphis. So you expect the unexpected, but it's a team that, you know, this is one of the, the rare instances where you look at the opponent and you say, well, they're out without this guy who was their best player. And you still felt like, yeah, I don't know if that's really going to make a big difference <laughs> in this game. Like you play the Warriors without Steph, you face the Sixers without Joel Embiid. 
like, well, you should really win this game. But with Memphis, as we touched on, 17 and two in the games that John Morant has missed, which is just insane. Part of it, I think, is the defensive numbers. Part of it is just luck. But their defense has been noticeably better in games where he hasn't played and, and in the minutes that he isn't on the floor. But if you didn't see a whole lot, and I would assume a, a lot of the listeners here are pretty well versed in all of the teams in the NBA, but if you're not, you saw why Memphis has been really good this year, the second-best record in the NBA, that they're just a really deep team. Taylor Jenkins is a good coach. They have a lot of depth on the perimeter, and, and they got a, a really solid defense. And I think even a deal like the Steven Adams move in the offseason that – at at worst, I think half of the people were kind of scratching their heads on why is Memphis doing it. It looks pretty good right around now. Yeah, I, they put the graphic up on the screen during this game, and I, I think this is just rough numbers, but basically the Grizzlies' defensive rating with Ja Moran on the floor is around 110. I think it goes down to like 104, which like is obviously elite. Yeah. I mean, that is an elite number. And again, it's not to suggest that Memphis are better without Jar because we know, particularly in the postseason, they're going to need that star scoring option. Uh, but uh, do you think Taylor Jenkins is coach of the year? He probably is, right? Um, I mean, I I, I would think so. And it, it's funny that I guess coach of the year isn't quite as, uh, as sexy as the other awards that are out there. But you haven't heard a whole lot of mention. I mean, really, it's it's Taylor Jenkins, or at this point, it's Ime Udoka. I think it's <laughs> it's clearly those are the two guys. Monty Williams ha- has always been a guy that's in the conversation, and it's impressive what Phoenix is doing. That you know, we're only going to have one team that wins sixty games this year, and it's going to be the Phoenix Suns. So, I think you had a couple of candidates early, but now it's pretty clear. Um, I think it has to be Taylor Jenkins, but if it's not, it's Ime Udoka for just how incredible you know, the last three months have been for the Boston Celtics. So I've just come up with some random criteria in my head for coach of the year. I've never really thought about it before. But if you're a first-year coach, you can't win coach of the year. So Udoka is out. I want okay. I want uh, our, our guy, Taylor Jenkins, to win it. And by the way, uh, we're going to talk about the standings here in a second. But Phoenix, uh, Chris Paul's back and they just kept winning. It's quite crazy to think if you haven't been keeping track, but you know they've been winning a lot of games. But just when you read it out, 61 and 14 right now, the Suns are just absolutely insane. As far as the East standings go, though, if the Bucks won this game in Memphis, they would have been the number one seed. Instead, they were the four seed because these teams uh, just continue to be bunched up. Now, the Bucks are actually back up into the three seed now, but there's half a game between Boston, Miami, Milwaukee, and Philadelphia. And again... You can go through the matchups. The Nets are down to the nine now, uh, but this is changing daily. Uh, the Bucks again, have another day off here before they'll play these two uh, big games. And, you know, look, the Philadelphia game, whatever. We'll see who plays in these games. We're going to talk more about Drew Holiday in just a second here. He didn't play in this game in Memphis. But I think the Brooklyn game, just in terms of projecting ahead and you wanting to keep Brooklyn potentially in a nine, like if you can force Brooklyn to go through two win or go home playing games. Obviously, the second one, they'd be the eight seed. But forcing them to play the two playing games, I think everyone in the East would love it if that was the case. So beat Brooklyn, Philadelphia game, would love to win it. But I'm with, uh, like I said, two weeks to go here. These standings are going to continue to change uh, basically daily. And there's five and a half games between the one and the seven seed. If you go to the one and the seven seed in the West, 18 and a half games, just for an idea of how tight it is in the East. The 
the standings and the schedule thing is interesting because um, at, at this point, with the way it's it's gone between the, the top four seeds, I don't know that you know there's any of those games that you look at and say, man, you really got to win this one. You just don't want to look bad at this point. But how we've seen Miami play for the last two weeks, uh, Boston on uh, what March first, the Celtics were I think sixth in the Eastern Conference, and now all of a sudden they're leading the conference and what they've done since what December twentieth, basically the run that they've been on, but what Miami did to leave the door open, you know, when we were starting to get close to the stretch that the Bucks were in, you looked at those three games and they played one of them already and said, this is probably the toughest stretch of schedule they'll have all season long. But as some more time passed, you looked at it and, and I thought by the time we get to those three straight games of at Memphis, at Philly, at Brooklyn, I don't know that it's going to be as tough as, as it looks on paper right now because that was in a world where Miami was leading the conference by two and a half or three games or whatever it was. And uh, the Bucks and, and Sixers were kind of bunched up there. The, the, um, the Celtics were starting to come on strong. But I kind of thought, based on how we'd seen Philly handle the second half of the season, I don't know that Philadelphia is going to be playing to win that game against the Bucs when they, when they meet up. Mm. But then what Miami has done, it has kind of forced you to say, we can no longer try to avoid actively the two seed where all of these teams, we have a chance to win it. So that really changed that approach because I really think if it was still Miami, very likely to finish with the best record and you had the Bucs and the Sixers kind of in the same spot, separated by a game or a half a game, I don't think Philadelphia is playing to win that game on Tuesday, but now that all of those teams are separated by a half game, that changes things. Now, I still think teams are going to say, well, yeah, we can win the conference, but I think we'd rather be third because I don't think Brooklyn is as, I don't think they're the scariest team or the second best team in the Eastern conference, but I still don't want to have to play that team in the first round. So if you tell me it's the Nets or you can get the Bulls or the Cavs or the Raptors, I would much rather take what's behind door B than have to go through Brooklyn and then potentially Miami in the second round and then Boston or Philly. Like That is a murderous stretch that you would go through. So if you can avoid that, I think you do it. Well, I watched game six and game seven of the Brooklyn series on the weekend. So if you think I'm scared of the Brooklyn Nets, you're wrong, Justin Garcia. We'll see what happens. Uh, I think, as we've said, uh, the Bucs will take it as it comes. I do want to ask you what's your big question for this Bucs team in the playoffs. I can go first so you can have more time to think about it. Or you can just agree with me because I've just thrown this at you now. As everyone knows, this is how we prepare uh, for Locked On Bucks over here. But my question is around Drew Holiday. So we're going to get to that after we talk about the best tasting protein bar that has ever been created, and that's uh, Built Bar. Uh, and by the way, we've mentioned that you have your, your standard bars. They're all covered in 100% real chocolate, but they also have the puffs. And if you haven't been to Built.com to check out the puffs, then you're simply missing out on one of the best tasting bars that they've got uh, in, the, uh, in the collection at Built.com. Puffs are a fan favorite with some incredible flavors. Yummy cinnamon tasting marshmallowy uh, stuff, but the banana cream pie is one of the flavors. So good, these are going to be your new favorite. There's no doubt about that. So all built bars, as I said, covered in 100% real chocolate. That includes the puffs, and they are somehow still healthy for you as well. Uh, certainly compared to other candy bars, you can't beat a built bar. Whether it's a mint brownie, coconut, coconut almonds, uh, the white chocolate cookies and cream is one that I've been talking about for a while. So at built bar. 
We know they're all about the taste. They make it taste delicious first, then figure out how to make it healthy later on. But it always is. So go to built.com, use the promo code LOCKED15 and get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. So I mentioned that Drew Holiday is my question. And we've been talking about Drew Holiday uh, obviously a lot on this podcast. I think he's had an incredible season. He didn't play in this game in Memphis. And the Bucks are now 4-10 and 10 without Drew Holiday. I read that number uh, floating around as well. And Frank has certainly brought this up on our podcast. Just the if you're looking for scope for improvement from the Bucks, I do think, and not by a lot of our astute lockdown Bucks listeners, but I think elsewhere perhaps, uh, it is overlooked or forgotten how poor the Bucks were offensively, particularly Drew Holiday in the postseason. So then I've seen a fair bit of, well, Drew Holiday's having an incredible offensive season. Now he is. But I was like, I'm pretty sure he was having an incredible offensive regular season last year as well. Yeah. So I looked up the numbers, and I think this is what has been forgotten. I hear people talking about the step back. I hear people talking about the three-point shot. And I'm like, hang on a second. This guy was doing this last year, and we were talking about it leading into the postseason. Then he wasn't able to do it in the playoffs. And maybe that had something to do with the level of defense that he's playing in the postseason, fatigue, all these things. Who knows? But just some of the numbers for Drew Holiday. Uh, So he's at 41.5% from three. Uh, Last year, he was at 40 so yeah. he was still very, very good last year. Now, he has made a jump for sure in the mid-range. He's at 51%, which is obviously elite, but he was at 46.5% last year. So he was also uh, well above average from the mid-range in one of the, the highest percentiles, according to Cleaning the Glass. So basically, he shot the ball really, really well. The step back in particular has just been absolutely nutty all season long. So he's 54% on step back threes from 83 attempts this year. So the volume is up a little bit. Because last year, and we're basically at the same point in games almost now to last year's regular season, but last year he had 64 attempts and he was still at 45%, which is just a ridiculous number, four step-back threes. So I'm just, I'm curious. Yes, it's easy to look at it and say, if you just compare the playoffs last year for Drew, it's easy to sit there and say, well, look what he's doing in the regular season. He's going to be fine in the postseason. But he was doing it last year. So, yes, it's, it's, it's an easy scope for improvement for this team. But this is one of the big questions for me. Is Drew able to be, uh, remain an efficient scorer in the playoffs? Because if he does, this Bucks team can go to another level. Yeah, um, and I, I'd heard it. I saw Frank bring it up, and, and then you see a few more people kind of latch onto it. But uh, even if, if Drew can, you know, it, it was abysmal in the playoffs last year. So he doesn't have to be a 42% three-point right. shooter. If he can just be mid to high 30s, that's that's a huge step upward for you. And that, and that was one of the reasons why the offense, certainly it was some of the scheme that they were doing against Brooklyn early on in that series, but they just couldn't get anything going in the half court. So if he plays 75% of the way that he's played during the regular season offensively, you're already in a much better spot with the offense. Um, my question for the postseason is you know i i guess just who rounds out the rotation or who's going to play the bulk of the minutes because last year was pretty cut and dry and you know you knew what you're going to expect you upgraded the starters and you brought in drew holiday the the move to bring in pj tucker too where you knew there's going to be a guy that plays a lot of minutes for us 
especially in the playoffs. And, and that's what we saw with the PJ Tucker in the postseason, where I think it was basically 30 minutes a game that he played. Uh, but that's gone now. Brooke Lopez, we saw the minutes that he played in the playoffs. It, it kind of varied by series. And the same was with Bobby Portis. Now, Brooke still played more than Bobby Portis, but it was starting to get close to that, you know, Brooke or Pat Connaughton, kind of like we saw in the regular season. Not having P.J. Tucker changes a lot of that, that I think you can slide a guy like Pat Connaughton up there and say, well, he's not a like-for-like match here with what P.J. brought us, but we can give him some more of those minutes. And and Pat Connaughton played, I I think, the fifth or sixth most minutes for them in the playoffs last year, and then there was a drop-off. So with no P.J. Tucker, who's replacing that is my biggest question going into the playoffs because you have added more depth and more guys that Bud trusts and that you can, you feel like you can play in those spots, but you don't have that PJ Tucker and, and maybe it's Wesley Matthews, but Wesley Matthews isn't going to get, at least I don't think close to 29 or 30 minutes a game in the postseason. So how, how much of an increase does Pat Connaughton take on? And then who takes on the Pat Connaughton minutes from last year in the playoffs is my question. Well, uh, I think, you know, if you look at the bottom end of the roster last year in the postseason and compare it to this year, uh, you feel more confident that you have a number of guys that can play. It uh, was basically six deep where right. you knew we can play all six of these guys and then the rest was and even, I guess, five and a half where it depended on the matchup for Brooke at times. But it was really six guys and Bobby was really situational. Brent Forbes was situational and then that was it. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, so... You know, again, we've discussed it a lot. I think the question will be, at the guard spots, what you do, how how playable George Hill is, how playable Wesley Matthews is. And really, I, I think the important aspect for me is if you can, when you do play at Brooklyn, if you do play at Brooklyn, can you avoid the the requirement to have Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton guarding Kevin Durant? Can you get away with someone else almost being the sacrifice on Kevin Durant and saying, look, just be super physical. Try not to send him to the free throw line every shot that he takes, but just contest. Is Wesley going to be that guy? My my guess is that Bud would be hoping that he's going yeah. to be that guy. Uh, and then the other question will be, just, just with Grayson Allen, what happens to his minutes in the postseason as well? Now, he's not a Bryn Forbes-level defender. I think he's better than Bryn Forbes. I think he can do a little bit more offensively as well. Uh, but he's a guy that I've got on watch there as well and speaking about on watch uh we discussed this on the podcast the other night with frank we were talking about top moments with the milwaukee bucks and you guys got involved on the youtube comments as well but that's because we are in partnership with nba top shot here the officially officially licensed nft of the nba you can connect with a community of hundreds of thousands of nba fans as uh, this is the natural progression of fantasy sports, a way to upgrade your experience as an NBA fan. Uh, it's basically, it's kind of like trading cards. It's kind of like the stock stock market for the NBA as well. Uh, fantasy sports, it's it's a mix of, of kind of uh, everything here as well. There's investors that include Michael Jordan and Kevin Durant, not to mention Will Smith. Will Smith! Wow. <laughs> that, I tell you what, a topical night for Will Smith. But I hear people ask all the time, why would I buy a highlight when I can watch it on YouTube for free. It's not just about watching the highlight. It's about having an ownership stake in what's akin to the stock market for the NBA's greatest highlights. And by the way, shout out to a number of listeners that mentioned uh, as their favorite moments, of course, the Mo Williams game winner against the Indiana Pacers way back 
in the mid 2000s there. So I remember that one very well. So that was a great moment. That was a popular moment with uh, Bucks fans that have been around for a while. So NBA Top Shot is the future of being an NBA fan. Own officially officially licensed rare NFTs of the greatest moments from NBA history. Sign up today at lockedon.nbatopshot.com. And then go to rockauto.com. Oh, by the way, Rock Auto has been with us for a long, long time. Multiple years now, uh, sponsors of the podcast. And we know if you've got any issues with your car, if you need anything for your car, rockauto.com is the place to go. Uh, why would you choose to spend 30%, 50%, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership? Uh, the example we've got here, a Honda Odyssey fuel pump, 353 bucks from a chain store, only 216 bucks at Rock Auto, which is pretty nice savings right there. And it's a family business, so you can feel good about going there as well. All you have to do is go and explore the website today to find any solution to your auto, auto parts needs and just write locked on in there. How did you hear about us box so they know we sent you? That's amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com. So I mentioned this to you uh, before we started recording, Justin. Uh, on the weekends, when there's weekend basketball games, and we don't have to do a post-game pod, it's still warm-ish weather over here in Australia right now, so I'm making the most of it before it turns wet and grey for not quite Milwaukee cold, by the way, before anyone calls me out. I understand that, but still kind of yuck. Gross winter over here. So I listened to Audio League Pass. I was listening to yourself and Dave Kane on the radio broadcast of the Memphis game. I was also listening to the radio broadcast of the Miami-New York Knicks game <laughs> the other day just to see how the Miami broadcast was taking recent events. Now, in that game, they were up huge. They blew yeah. it to the Knicks. You already mentioned the fact that the heat is starting to slip a little bit. And, I mean, they've had a really great run with some of the teams that played without star players and they haven't been able to capitalize at all. What did you make of the Miami situation the other day, Justin? Because I, I personally, just as a, just as a, if I take off any type of media hat, work hat, as a fan, it was, it was thrilling, thrilling it was stuff. Great. Uh, it's been a tough week. So Monday they lose. I think it was on the road, but they 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 just wrapped up, or they will wrap up on Monday, this upcoming Monday today. The Kings come to town, and I think that's the final in a stretch of eleven out of twelve that they played in Miami. So you looked at where they were when that started, and that's when they were like three and a half up, and thought, man, Miami could be putting the finishing touches on the one seed here. And that's why, again, I thought, okay, you're going to see teams like Philly take their foot off the gas. But Monday, they played Philly without Harden and Embiid, and they lose in a game where Tyrese Maxey scored close to 30. Wednesday, they lose to the Warriors, who have also been you know, pretty spotty at best for the last two months, really. Uh, but they lose to the Warriors without Steph Curry playing in that game. Then the Knicks game that you mentioned, they're up by 17 in the fourth quarter, and they end up losing the game where uh, Emmanuel quickly scores 20 in the fourth quarter and then just run off the floor by the Brooklyn Nets. So the Wednesday game where they had that interaction between Eric Spolstra and Jimmy Butler, the only thing I really took from it is, well, one, thank goodness we have camera phones and that somebody was there to document oh, what was beautiful going stuff. on. Because the absolute best part wasn't even Spolstra saying to Jimmy Butler, do you think I'm going to bleeping fight you? It was... Uh, PJ Tucker's reaction 
to whatever was said from Butler to Spolstra, where PJ Tucker just turns and the camera catches it perfectly. And he has the wide jawed wow look on his face. And I mean, all <laughs> of it that went on, I've never, the most animated, I was talking about this with someone else, the most animated I've ever seen Eric Spolstra throughout his entire tenure as a coach is it seems like every time they play the Bucks and he's really working to get a travel call on Giannis where he will just keep his arms going for 30 seconds. That's the most animation I've ever seen from him. So to see him get into it that much with Jimmy Butler, you were kind of startled and think, what's going on here? I still, I mean, as a fan of the Bucks and somebody that doesn't want to see success come the way the Miami Heat, I loved it. But I still kind of feel like, I think we're making a lot of this and it's it's going to probably end up being nothing that things like this tend to happen, maybe not frequently, but they do happen more than you think. It's just usually they happen in the locker room and behind closed doors. And if you have a good coach and if you have veterans on your team and you have a team full of players that just don't hate each other, they usually don't become a problem. So I would lean towards that, but just the way things have gone with Miami, I mean, anything that pops up like this, it makes it all the more interesting that this is a team where you have some very combustible personalities on the team. They've been in a very, very bad slump of late. And you just wonder, well, maybe things will go differently here. But if I had to choose what this means, I don't think it really means anything. And it's just going to be something that we forget about a couple of weeks from now. I don't think that they can move on until Spolstra and Jimmy Butler fight. I think that they have to fight or they're not going to be able to move this on. PJ Tucker can be the special guest referee and they can get this. Oh, you done it. Well, I, I don't really trust Haslam. I think he's he might get a little too invested. And uh, Well, it would it would be like a, a, the 90s WWF <laughs> e where he's the referee, but he takes off his shirt to reveal he's got an NWO shirt on underneath and he's actually supporting Eric Spolstra. Well, speaking of WWE, Bobby Portis picked up a flagrant foul in this game against Memphis, which was very bizarre to me. And I understand you know, any type of contact to the head that is not, uh, I, I don't even know. Intentional. What the word is. It, yeah. Even not intent. Yeah, yeah, it, like, just I, if it happens, the intent behind it, it, it couldn't, even if the intent wasn't malicious, if it happened, it's a flagrant. It didn't look like there was really much contact at all, if, no. if any, though. I mean, uh, to me, this was a different call to. Uh, like swinging elbows through, that is a dangerous act. Like this just didn't feel to me, it, it didn't feel intentional. And it also just didn't feel like a dangerous act either. So I, I maybe to the letter of the law, it was correct. But I thought it was a it was a kind of a bizarre uh, flagrant that Bobby picked up and he was kind of laughing about it. I mean, there's not much you can do in that situation. Uh, I do want to say Camille's going to be on the podcast tomorrow. And yes, she is aware of it. I have messaged Camille and she knows she's going to be on the podcast tomorrow. But because we are going to be looking ahead to the game against Philadelphia, I mentioned the YouTube comments is a great place to go. If you've got any questions, comments, I'm always in there responding and, and talking general rubbish. So we haven't done it for a while. We could do like a mini mailbag podcast tomorrow. So if you've got any questions, if you've got any thoughts, go to YouTube. Uh, while you're there, hit subscribe. And uh, bang, chuck some questions in and we'll go through them tomorrow as well. If not, you can tweet at me at Kane Pittman and uh, we can we can go through that way as well. I should mention the Locked On NBA podcast while we're here, the national podcast on the network. Make sure you check it out and you can find out everything that's going on around the league, including the play-in races that are happening right now. And the West, I guess, is the most interesting. Certainly for Bucks fans, we're keeping an eye on Brooklyn for sure. But the Lakers gave up a 23-point lead tonight in New Orleans. Uh, 
I don't know how you feel about this, but I've just been looking at the play-in situation, particularly in the West. It's a little bit different in the East because you know that Brooklyn are genuine title contenders. And also, they're above 500. So it's like, okay, I can stomach that a little bit. This bullshit going on in the West right now with the Lakers and the Spurs and the Pelicans battling for these play-in spots, I think there has to be some sort of rule that if your team is this bad, you you don't get a shot. I think they did it in a bubble where they had to be within three games or something like that. Because I just... I'm sitting here thinking, if I'm the Minnesota Timberwolves, 10 games over 500, and you have to be in a playing game. Now, they'll probably play the Clippers, so it's a little bit different. But even the Clippers, they've been without two All-Stars for the whole season, and they're going to have to face the stinking Lakers 12 games below 500 just to keep their season alive. I think we've got to, there has to be some rule to keep out the absolute putrid teams out of the play. Um, and the, the, the Clippers have basically said or have they actually said but it's basically none of these guys are coming back this year right Right. i I believe they said that i mean otherwise it would be like man you've got the nets lurking in the east and you've got the clippers with Kawhi and paul george coming back in the west um i also feel like those who live in glass houses probably shouldn't be throwing stones at this the first time in recent memory the eastern conference can say Hey, uh, maybe, I don't know, worry about getting above 500 if you want to be in the playoffs. (laughs) Uh, But, I mean, you do have the Timberwolves, and I I think it's the toughest part is, you know, you have a team like Brooklyn in the East, and you just have a lot of uncertainty one through four, whereas in the West, the Timberwolves are the only good team that is going to be in that play, and and it might not even be the Timberwolves. Like, they could take a lot, but they could climb into sixth either way that's a good team and the Suns and Grizzlies have just been on another level of the entire conference and really the entire NBA. So whoever does win it, you're a sacrificial lamb in all likelihood. So uh, yeah, if, if the East can continue to do this for years to come, but to me, the most uh, juicy subplot of the play in tournament is I started to look at this a couple of weeks ago and think, Oh, maybe we could get this. That would be interesting. And now we are there. 10 versus 9, 9-10 is the Pelicans and Lakers. The Pelicans are the 9. So Anthony Davis, if he plays, would be going to New Orleans to play in a game to stay alive in the playoffs. Yeah, I saw some declarations tonight. And by the way, the Pelicans beat down the Lakers a few weeks back at Staples, uh, whatever it's called. I'm going to call it Staples Center. And uh, so that would be great for Pelicans fans who have been through a lot. Uh, but as for the Bucks. We're going to keep an eye on the top four and what happens over the next week. See where the Bucks are at. Uh, they're 46 and 28 right now. Just a reminder, they were 46 and 26 last year in the regular season. They're still kind of on track here to get to 50 wins, but they do have difficult games. So we'll see uh, how it all plays out. But uh, the big thing is they're a long way. All these teams are a long way behind the Phoenix Suns in terms of best record in the NBA for sure. But we'll be back tomorrow with Camille. Like I said, if you've got any questions, thoughts, send them through. We'll bring them up on the podcast tomorrow and have a bit of fun as we look ahead to Bucks and Sixers the next day. Justin, appreciate you. Anytime. All right. For Justin and myself, we'll leave it there. We'll be back tomorrow.